0: Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up!
1: Well, you sure think a whole lot of yourself, don't you?
2: Well, sure I do. Don't you? Me? I ain't nobody. I'm only 13. <laughs> well, you look all woman to Jerry Lee. See, it's that time again. So look at the
0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Secret Cinema, the film podcast that's going to hell, pressing the play button. I'm Paolo Caron, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and we're rejoined by Emily Neal to discuss Jim McBride's 1989 campy and creepy Jerry Lee Lewis biopic, Great Balls of Fire. A quick note, much like Darren Aronofsky's mother, which gets brought up in our discussion, The title Great Balls of Fire has an exclamation point at the end. You don't often think about the punctuation used in film titles, but in both of these cases, the usage is quite appropriate. Think about that, or don't, but here's Carrie with the plot summary. Jerry Lee Lewis is on the
1: cusp of greatness. He just needs someone to believe in his talent as much as he does. His ego could get him in trouble, but first it gets him a record deal. He's well on his way to being the next Elvis when he strikes up a controversial romance with 13-year-old Myra, his first cousin once removed. But Jerry Lee finds that his audience can't separate his music from the news of his child bride, and the foundation of his career has a whole lot of shaking going on.
0: Great Balls of Fire stands out from most biopics due to its insistence on framing Jerry Lee Lewis and his actions in an unsympathetic light. Our first clip is part of the film's loose framing device. Run-ins between Jerry Lee Lewis, played by Dennis Quaid, and preacher Jimmy Swaggart, played by Alec Baldwin, that emphasize Lewis's rejection of morality in pursuit of pleasure, And in this particular run in, you get a good sense of Jerry's oversized ego as well as Quaid's over the top performance. Here's that clip. And I got out and
2: I laid hands on the this car and I said, Devil, if you've gotten crazy before, you just wait one minute because I'm going to ask the Lord to come down and heal this woman. So I got down and I asked the Holy Spirit to make her whole again. And the Holy Spirit, lo and behold, came down and made her good as new. Glory, hallelujah, praise God, brother. Well, here's my cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis. You all probably know him from that blasphemous shaking song he put out. Number four in the top ten this week, cousin. Well, I really doubt that it's in the Lord's top ten. Rock and roll is the devil's music.
1: That's right, that's right.
2: Rock and roll is a rhythm, a feeling feeling that emanates from the pit of hell that's right, that's right. well that feeling got me a hit record still a hit record mm-hmm. pray for America. do you still have that coin i gave to you one time well, uh, so as a matter of fact i do choices jerry lee This whole life is all about choices. What choice are you going to make with your music, with your life? I don't play or sing as well as you do. Well, I heard that. (laughs) But all that I have belongs to God, all of it. What would happen if you gave him all you have? Well, as a matter of fact, cousin, I just might do that one day. Praise God. What about today? What? Do you remember what you said you would do if you got a hit record? You said you would go out and preach his word. Did I say that? That's funny, I don't remember saying that. I must have been drunk. (laughs) (laughs) But the Lord remembers, cousin. Well, is this that car that God healed for you? Well, that was six months ago. She's up and died on me now. Well, Why don't you just lay hands on her right here? I'd like to see that yeah. myself. Uh, okay. my cousin, you cannot ask the Lord for more help than you are willing to help yourself. He's gotten me along this far. Well, why answer... don't you just let this old Oldsmobile here get you a little further along? I'll okay. you. You made a choice just then, Jerry Lee. From your singing came this car, and from this car will come the spreading of God's word. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, don't thank Jesus, thank Jerry Lee Lewis.
0: <laughs> what really puts Jerry Lee Lewis in an unsympathetic light is his relationship and eventual marriage to his 13-year-old first cousin once removed, Myra, played by Winona Ryder. While the film doesn't portray Lewis as a predatory pedophile, it's hard to not feel uneasy while listening to our next clip in which Jerry reveals his intention to marry Myra. Here's that clip.
1: Where are we going?
2: I want you to take a look in that glove compartment there. I want to show you something. It's marriage license. I thought you had to stand there and say something. Well, it's only a permit, Mara. Oh, so we ain't married. Not yet. But that's my prayer. I'm asking you to marry me.
3: Me?
2: I love you.
4: Jerry, I'm only 13 years old.
2: Oh heck, my sister Frankie Jean, she was only 12 when she got married. <laughs> well, you're as old as my daddy. What? Oh, hell, I ain't that old. <laughs> Can we just wait three or four years? Oh, boy, now, I've got two hit records. I got six months of dates, booked up in advance, I got me $100,000. What more do you
0: need? As hinted at before, Great Balls of Fire has an over-the-top, campy sensibility that enlivens its finest moments and creates a bizarre, almost salonsian tone when dealing with much darker material. In this clip, Sun Records founder Sam Phillips, played by Trey Wilson, and his brother Judd Phillips, played by Steven Tobolowski, find out about Jerry's marriage, and the choice in tone might surprise you. Here's that clip.
2: Well, uh, Mr. Phillips, I- I've-, I've really got to tell you something. It's... Just a sec, Yeah. Ah, Lois. Uh-huh. You don't say oh you don't say yeah yeah our boy here just up and married jw's daughter myra what that's what i've been trying to tell you we've been holding back from telling her folks and i told you the boy should have had a place of his own well it's too late now the dam was done broke loose and there is all kinds of hell coming down well i guess they didn't take it none too good did they J.W. is on his way over here right now to shoot your ass full of holes. We gotta get this boy out of here. I mean it,
0: brother. And by the way, brother,
2: next time let me handle the accommodations.
0: And finally, because this is a biopic about a musician, we wanted our final clip to be a song prominently used in the film. Our final clip is Jerry Lee Lewis's cover of the song Breathless by Otis Blackwell. Not only does this song play over one of the film's more disturbing sequences, but director Jim McBride also found a prominent use for the song six years prior in his conceptually similar remake of the Jean-Luc Godard film, Breathless. So, here's Breathless, the song, and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of Great Balls of Fire. The movie! come
2: and me, please don't tease if I can hold you, honey, and let me squeeze Oh, my heart I go round and round And my love comes tumbling down Honey, you leave me <sighs> Breathless uh, Oh, I shake all over, honey, you know why Show us love, baby, now that ain't no lie Of course, when you call my name Honey, I burn like wood in flame You Ripple off. Ooh, baby Ooh, crazy Honey, you're much too much Now you know I can't love you enough uh, It's alright, you you're holding me tight But when you love me, love me right Oh, well, come on, baby, now you don't be shy This love was meant for just you and I Wind, rain, sleet or snow. I'm gonna get you, baby, wherever you go. And you, you leave me. Breathless, son. Uh... Now you know, honey, I can't love you enough It's all right, you hold me tight But when you love me, love me right Come on, baby, now you don't be shy The love's meant for just you and I Wind, rain, sleet or snow Honey, Jerry's gonna get you wherever you go You, now leave me
0: Well, everyone, Carrie has made fun of me for saying, "Hey, we're back!" So saying something different this time. Uh, (laughs) You remembered, yeah? But I realized I didn't have anything planned, so (laughs) let's just jump into it. We're talking about the 1989 musical-dramedy. I don't. Again, this is another genre-defying movie to me. But I would say drama. 1989 film by director Jim McBride. The biopic, I guess that we should say, biopic, uh, campy, campy biopic. biopic, yeah, great balls of fire, <laughs> the biopic of Jerry Lee Lewis. Your
1: emphasis on balls was really dead on. Yeah.
0: Foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're already clearly very silly. Uh, we've all been drinking during this recording, so let's just jump into it, Carrie. Uh, you re- you pushed for this one to be included, uh, so. Why did you want to do this movie for the podcast?
1: Throwing it to me right away. Yeah, you
0: you have something to say.
1: I always have things to say. But for (laughs) this movie, the reason I wanted it to be included is because I think it is a standalone biopic. Like, when I think of biopics, you know, they follow a very specific formula. You know, it's like you're introduced to the person, they're on their luck and then they get this amazing break and things go well for them but then they either like self-sabotage or you know something happens that ruins their fame for a little bit and then they're able to defy those circumstances and uh rise above it you know like rise from the ashes and that's usually how a biopic uh happens and in this movie it does somewhat follow that formula but at the same time There's no real conflict or, like, adversity that's faced by Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I guess you guys
3: Also, the whole time, I'm not, like, rooting for
4: him. Yeah. Right.
3: He's an idiot. (laughs) that is really talented. And it's not like... Like, I I did think of Walk the Line, where Johnny makes terrible decisions at some points, and it's like, oh, you fuck up, but this is, like... Oh, who cares? Jerry Lee Lewis, whatever. You're an idiot. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think that word you use, campy, is very specific to this movie. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of biopics that are really campy.
0: Well, and I, I read uh, online that Jim McBride, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Myra Lewis, who are the the real people who are the primary characters in the movie... They don't like this movie, and Jim McBride, when this was essentially brought to him... Oh yeah, I wrote
1: down his quote. Yeah, what'd he say? He said, this movie does not represent itself in any way to be a historical documentary. Yes, and (laughs) the
0: campiness definitely plays into, he's clearly trying to do something with this. He doesn't care about the biopic, he's like, okay, what can I use this real story to explore, and I feel like because of that, it's so much more interesting than every other biopic, which seems to just hit the same basic notes. And Emily, really quickly, I forgot that you have brought a special bonus guest. Uh, could you please reintroduce the bonus guest?
3: I brought my other half, Matthew.
0: Matthew? Hello. There is. he is.
3: <laughs> He's yeah. here. I brought him to bring us beer and color...
4: Coloring
0: books. Silent but deadly. Yes. Um, <laughs> ain't that the truth. I wish I had some sort of segue of being like, well, we have couples recording because this is a movie about a couple, but, but that's gross. No, gross. No, my
3: age difference is not
0: disgusting. <laughs> well, and the thing, the thing that I really wanted to talk about this movie about is because it is a biopic about somebody that did something that more or less was so upsetting to culture, it destroyed their career, and it doesn't necessarily portray them as the antagonist or, like, no. an evil person, but, like, somehow portray does, has, like, distance to it, and yet it's still very disturbing. It's not, like, disturbing because the movie's trying to pretend like it wasn't weird. The movie, it's, yeah. No, this- <laughs> but
3: he's not, he doesn't even feel like a protagonist because you're not, like... Rooting for him yeah. to do anything.
1: Yeah. So I want to go back to what you said, Paulo, earlier about how Jim McBride portrays this uh, subject matter because he wanted to explore some themes. And the one theme that I would say he explores is the idea of ego, mm-hmm. uh, or or even what you said, Emily, earlier, genius or like talent. But what would you say are the other themes that he's exploring in this movie?
0: Well, I think, okay, we should mention, in case you don't know, Carrie, do you want to do a quick background on Jerry Lee Lewis?
1: Sure. Jerry Lee Lewis. He's a downtown country boy. Good old boy. Yeah, and I say that yeah, multiple he, times. He's a good old boy from the South. The
0: two states that are f- heavily featured in this movie are Louisiana and Tennessee. So yeah, that's and what,
1: he also has roots in Arkansas, as far as his career is concerned. But he, uh, you know, he is heavily influenced by the black culture that's in his town. He he specifically rips off the black culture in his town to basically make a career for, for himself playing the piano, um, as we see in the movie with Great Balls of Fire. Yeah. Because he watches... A, a I, I would just
0: say, what was the specific... Like, if you're going to give a quick overview of why a listener would know who Jerry Lee Lewis is. Like what, like we've mentioned. Oh, was, well, yeah. he's
1: like, he's considered one of the godfathers of rock
0: and roll. Yeah. So he did the song He is actually. Fire, he
1: actually was, I didn't know this, but he was inducted in the inaugural class in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. So that's how important he is considered to the genre of rock and roll as he's one of the people who essentially is credited as creating
0: it. Alright, so one of the most interesting things about his life is the fact that Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, at the absolute height of his fame, like, uh, within the first year or two of his fame, when he's, like, when they're saying, like, he's gonna be the next Elvis, he decides to marry the 13-year-old daughter of his cousin, which they say what, second cousin... Twice it's actually
1: his first cousin once removed, first, yeah. because it's the child of his first cousin. Okay.
0: So he marries his first cousin once removed, a thirteen-year-old girl named Myra, and and uh, this
3: played by Winona Ryder. Yes,
0: and when this happened, this really happened. The movie more or less portrays like the the, the key reveals in the way that they happened, but um, it it uses this as I feel like the the, the movie is cut in half between, like, the setup where we're finding his career and everything, and then the back half where his career falls apart because of his choice to marry his 13-year-old uh, first cousin once removed. And this is the thing we're talking about, that the movie somehow portrays in this, like, fair... Ver- like, nowadays, this plotline would be... Like, I I, they, I don't even know if you would make what? You, now Okay, in 2017, you would not make a biopic about someone who married and underage relative without being that just being flat out. Like they're a bad person or they're very troubled. And there'd be more or less like the complexity, if it would be, there would be about the complexity of this bad, flawed person. This movie, while, like we said, Jerry Lee Lewis as played by Dennis Quaid, isn't really likable. We don't empathize with him. We don't really root for him, but he is definitely not portrayed as a villain. Or as
1: like a, an evil person. He's not
0: predatory. Towards Myra, he no. seems to—at least the way the movie portrays it—he seems to genuinely love her. Well, it's misguided. It seems very stupid and immature, but it's sincere to him.
1: I would say sincere, but I, I, for one, would never say it's romantic. No, no.
0: but it can be sincere without Do being you, romantic. Sure. Yeah, no.
1: no, I, I think it's like you said. I think it's very misguided and sincere. And genuine, but there is never that, like, romantic. Now, this guy should uh, also direct a biopic about R. Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. I don't know if he's directing anymore. He's in his 80s. Yeah. But, <laughs> I agree. you know what I mean.
4: <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah.
1: But yeah, the, this movie walks that, like, strange line of, what else is this movie about other than their
3: quote-unquote
0: Love story. I
3: don't think it's trying to say anything except this happened.
0: But it's also, I mean, yeah. but we talk about the campiness. There's a campy quality that instead of taking this material, like, straight and playing it straight, he's clearly trying to do something with it to make, like, like this. we're saying, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, I,
1: like, couched in the ego of Jerry Lee Lewis believing that he can defy all odds to become the king of rock and roll because... During the movie, you see the actual conflict between he and Elvis, yeah. who is dubbed the king of rock and roll.
0: Yeah, Elvis, we actually see, like, there's a you the scene... You see him concede. There's, well, yeah, there's... Well, you see the scene. There's three key Elvis moments I want to point out through the movie. This is not a movie that really needs us to talk about it chronologically, so we're gonna no. kind of shotgun approach this. But Elvis... Uh, we talked about how Jerry Lee Lewis was seen as a potential uh, next new Elvis. Like not just he would be as good as Elvis, but he would replace Elvis is kind of the way they talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so when we see Elvis prominently in the movie, there's this moment where Elvis shows up at Sun Studios when Jerry is there trying to work out his contract. And Jerry looks out the window and his face is reflected on the glass in a way that it's overlaid over Elvis's face. Like literalizing, Mm -hmm. like, you're going to be the next Elvis. Then, when Jerry is on TV, he's playing the Steve Allen show, I think, and he's, his sexy music is being introduced to America, and it cuts to, Elvis is in bed with a woman. Like, he is he's in his underwear, and she is in her underwear, and they're, like, wrapped in each other's arms, and the woman hears Jerry Lee Lewis on TV and, like, pulls away from Elvis and immediately starts, like, shimmy dancing. <laughs> like, she's not even off the bed. She's like, she's, like, hypnotized by the TV, and Elvis was, like, really resentful. And then there's a later moment when, like, Things are starting to go bad for Jerry, and he's... Oh, not, not actually, not going bad for Jerry. He has tried to have sex with his 13-year-old wife, and because she is too good at sex, he assumes she's not a virgin and leaves, which, say uh, saying it out loud is really gross. Uh, but his, he's...
3: You guys, you gotta watch it just to see his face in that scene. Yeah. He's, like, disgusted with the sex he's having with his new wife.
1: There's a lot of non-verbal scenes with great facial expressions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But... So he's playing, he's like uh, playing the piano sadly, like some goofy ass old movie, <laughs> and he was uh, just close-ups on his face making all these great uh, faces. And Elvis comes in, and Elvis has been in the army, and he drops his duffel bag, and he says, "Take it. You can take it all. I'm not even going to try to do an impression <laughs> of Elvis right now." Uh, we
1: are going to try and do impressions will. of January. take it.
0: <laughs> take it. Um, that's yeah, wrong. Uh <laughs> <laughs> like Cletus with that. But <laughs> you so have Elvis to shake your El, to do. Elvis that, shows up and he basically is like concedes, like like yeah, you you clearly are gonna just take all of the fame so you can have it. I give up. And uh so that's like the way, like, but that pointedly is not realistic. Like, that, you you can feel it in those moments that it's not like, oh yeah, these are based on historical conversations between Elvis <laughs> no, and Jerry. No, Elvis
3: did not show up to a studio in the yeah. middle of the night with a duffel bag <laughs> to tell Jerry Lee Lewis
4: on his way to army yeah, on agree.
3: his way to army was yeah.
1: going to army <laughs> <laughs> he was going to army yes.
0: but but uh, like my point is just that so it's clearly like a like not not necessarily symbolic but it's like a heightened we would say campy but also this like this moment that's trying to represent the effect of jerry lee lewis or like the way he's interacting with culture and we see that also where there's scenes where jerry lee lewis is like has a new song and he's driving around he'll drive to a school and all the kids are doing like backflips and dancing and it's not at first it's like oh these kids are just really good dancers and it's like no there's a musical number happening right now like we are not in reality anymore it's
1: like what emily said is this a musical
0: yeah (laughs) i
3: thought it it is kind of and so it's suspended reality
0: and, and the movie the thing i kept saying i should have mentioned this earlier but to me this movie really feels has a a very todd solanzian quality to it because it has that pastel production design everything looks so colorful and clean and like like the stereotype of like suburban america as like white people think of it and then there's inside of it is this love story between like an adult man and an underage girl and like that they are just like so firmly committed to. And there's, there's moralizing in the movie, but like it doesn't seem to be like trying to convince the audience that this is bad. So it's again, it has like this weirdly neutral point of view. And so we see like, we see the scenes where they, They finally have sex, and we see Myra lose her virginity, which is, like, one of those things where it's, like, yes, this is also, this is accurate to the story, but it's also mind-blowing to think about watching a movie in which Dennis Quaid takes a a 13-year-old girl's virginity and then yells at her because she is a whore. Like, it's... Uh,
3: (laughs) How... Yes, problematic. Yeah. How old was she when they filmed? Ona Ryder. She was 18.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, she did Heathers before this.
3: Yep, she did Heathers
1: and Beetlejuice lick before this. Up, Dennis, <laughs> lick it
3: up, Dennis, lick
1: it up. gross. Isn't that from the Heathers? Yeah, but just gross. <laughs> in the context. <laughs> well, and uh, that goes kind of back to what, like, uh, I'm, I'm stumped almost yeah. because there's so many things that Jim McBride is touching on with his portrayal of how Jerry Lee Lewis handles certain things, like like you said, he's at the height of his career. He could really have any woman he wants. Which and he does at a few parts. Sure, but he decides to settle, and it's established in the movie that he's been married twice before, and that's true, actually. He had been married twice before, he actually has... At this point in the movie, two kids, which are never mentioned yeah,
0: good point. in the movie.
1: <laughs> like, I like guess his, he doesn't give a shit about those two he's kids. He's sleeping
0: on a couch for, like, the first couple months that the movie takes place. Right. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and so he could really have any woman he wants, and, and he decides to settle with his 13-year-old cousin's daughter. And, like, what does that his say cousin about... cousin is not
0: 13 years old.
1: No, it's
0: his cousin's
1: <laughs>
3: daughter, yeah. who's, who's in his band. His cousin, Jethro, or whatever, is J.W., JW
0: played by the musician John Doe, uh, uh, who, as I, I know him from the band X, which is an amazing punk band, but he, if you are, want to know what other movie you might have seen him in, he's in Boogie Nights as Julianne Moore's ex-husband, And who wants custody of their child because his ex wife is a porn star. So he
1: plays the uh, doting father, huh?
0: Yes, uh, of a child who is in an unhealthy situation. (laughs) Yes. Uh, This is a weird typecasting for a punk musician from the 80s. Yeah, that is
1: weird. But, like, what is Jim McBride saying about masculinity in this movie when he's, like, portraying Jerry Lee Lewis as really only caring about the adoration of his fans and family?
3: fans but just like being famous. Like yeah. he knows in his in his heart he's so he is talented. He's a talented guy. Yeah. But I think he's he's torn between liking black music and wanting to use that to his own benefit and God and everybody else telling him that he's being ungodly. The whole the mention of devil's music comes up so much mm-hmm. in this movie.
0: Well, and the ending literally brings what you're saying to a point of it's like he has to choose like the narrow path or the broad paved gold path that leads to uh, hell. Yeah,
1: we've got that postcard that says like if I'm going to hell, I'm going to go playing the piano. Yeah,
0: and so and, and again like. If we're going to really talk about what the intention of the movie, the fact that it does kind of end on that note of he, he does this thing where he, he gets a huge ego from being super he successful, and ego. then he uh, marries his underage uh, first cousin, once removed, and then uh, all of his popularity tanks... And then there's that church scene in the end where they're like, are you going to be good or are you going to be bad? And he says, I'm going to be bad. And then it shows him playing another concert and it says he's playing his heart out somewhere in America. And so it's like,
3: what is, what the, is the message is that, right there? The point is that Alec Baldwin is wrong. And uh, it's more important to be true to yourself.
1: Didn't it feel like happened. Alec Baldwin should have had more scenes?
0: Well, like, at, yeah, he's because he's clearly the cousin in the opening scene. Who, when the two, it's like the very first scene of the movie. Yeah. It's a boy, a little boy Jerry Lee Lewis and little boy Jimmy Swaggart, and they go to the Chocolate Quarter of Faraday, Louisiana. And that's what that says in the movie. Um, but they go and they watch this like amazing uh, dance hall performance. It's this uh, just. It's black musicians and black dancers, and they sit. And the, of course, Jimmy Swagger. It says it's the devil's music. I can feel it. But uh, Jerry loves it, and he's taking it in. And the next thing we know, he's an adult, and he's like, "How can I steal this exact style of piano playing?" Like they show yeah. the close up of the like the black piano player's hand. the Black piano player is missing a finger, but we see the way he's playing. And then it like cuts over to Jerry Lee Lewis in. 1956, and the shot is so that we see that his hand is doing, doing the, the exact hand motion, the exact and, style of playing.
3: And later, when yeah. they're at the studio, Sam Phillips is like the finder of talented people. I don't yeah, know he what, found He's Elvis. the executive producer, whatever, yeah. but he's the one who says Jerry Lee Lewis is a black hand and a white hand together, Yeah, and together they make all the music that's going to make them money. Yeah, but it's, it's like it,
4: all of these themes like they just touch on them and then move on.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah,
4: there's so no staying that, power. Yeah, no.
1: Yeah, it actually uh, it's like pre-dream girls.
0: <laughs> but it's again like we're saying it's like a, it's like a biopic. It's clearly a biopic, but it moves through, like like Matt just said, it moves through the biopic in a way that like picks up these signifiers and themes in a way that uh, a biopic usually wouldn't. A biopic wouldn't usually focus on these things, or it would. If you're going to make a movie like this, there's like <laughs> usually an agreement where it's like, "All right, this is the bad stuff you can talk about. But you can't talk about this bad stuff." Like a good example, straight out of Compton, not having scenes where uh, Dr. Dre beats up D. Barnes, like that type of stuff. Where it's like, okay, you're going to make the movie about us. So you're going to make a movie that makes me look good. And so to watch this movie that makes Jerry Lee Lewis look so bad, like really bad. But it seems like.
3: the whole time he's like, oh, this guy's a child himself. And he's yeah. just.
2: Yeah. It does
0: seem. like Okay. It does seem like if I was going to say there is a theme, it does seem that the movie through the biopic format is trying to say that Jerry Lee Lewis is a child is, like, and, and everything else, it's a child And brought everything into I learned world. about
1: Jerry Lee Lewis doesn't argue that. Like you said, Jerry Lee Lewis came out against this movie, mm-hmm. but he did say that Dennis Quaid really pulled it off. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. But then, Since you say that, let's talk about Dennis Quaid's performance in this. We've we've talked about the the Bermuda Smile before. There's the tricks and the trade the tricks Bermuda of the Quaid, smile. and so <laughs> the Bermuda Smile when when Dennis Quaid smiles, you get I lost I in it. You get lost in it for days. But specifically because T- it's like a triangle, it's his top lip forms like a line and then his bottom lip pouts out into like a little triangular point and it's a little triangle. You have to keep an eye out for it. Uh but
3: he didn't smile a lot in this movie. He did just like sneer and There's
0: like, a lot of grins.
3: It's yeah. a lot of
1: him like sticking his chin out and looking the kind and glowing fucking bubblegum bubble. Bubbles. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot of smiling.
0: But let's talk about his performance really quickly.
1: <sighs> I think he Annette Benning did.
0: He overdid it? Yeah.
3: Yes, I did not like it. I was like, this is... I didn't hate it. This was uh, a caricature of a Southerner. Yeah,
1: I didn't hate it, but I thought he overdid it.
4: It seemed purposeful, but not
0: purposeful enough, maybe.
1: Yeah, like, to what point was he overacting?
0: I, okay, I will say that I think his performance matches the campiness of the production design. Sure. And and it's the same sort of performance that fits in with, like, the musical numbers and things like that. He's the type
3: of person who would live in a teal and pink house.
0: And the fact that Jerry Lee Lewis sees this as a good performance, keep in mind how bad this movie portrays him, but he still sees this as accurate, which makes me think that what they were going for, and this must be what generally Lewis appreciated, is that they're trying to go for this energy. Like, a certain amount of en- Like I said, everything in this movie is trying to, in like a shorthanded way, convey a complicated thing without having the usual biopic trait of like, wow, that guy has so much energy. I've never seen a performer like that. There's, they try to just... Uh, have, this movie does have a lot of energy. It yes. does. It and propels itself... Forward. and so there's and think of like scenes like a good example of this the way this energy plays out think of the scene where the where winona rider and her two high school friends come home and jerry lee lewis is playing the piano and he starts like playing the piano at them where he's like he's moving the piano trapping them it's
3: like
0: it's not just like look the how good i am at music is-
4: the
3: piano is his penis, and he corners the girl.
0: Exactly. Like, it's <laughs> instead of them being like, wow, he's a sexual dynamo with that piano, it's like they show him trapping women with it. Like, it's, it's that sort of thing. So I feel like the performance is an extension of that. It's like, it's clearly not like a grounded human being, because we would have empathy for his behavior if it was trying to. But if the argument the movie is trying to make is that he's a child who happens to have these traits that make him successful, and once he gets into that universe, there's no one who's going to tell him no, so there's nothing that's going to change those qualities about him, and then because he's a child who can't be told what to do, he sees a girl that he feels comfortable with because she's childlike like him, and he wants to marry her, and he doesn't see what's wrong with
1: that. the quote I always think of in the movie, which Jerry Lee Lewis, or Den's Quaid delivers is um, they're talking about women and the, I think it's the drummer of the band says like, oh, I'll never get married. Women are crazy. And Jerry Lewis says, you got to get them when they're young, you know, and train them just like you're raising them like a bird dog. And, uh, and he says that. And then like within the next 15 minutes, he marries his 13 year old first cousin once removed. And it's like, nah.
4: but, but that's also not what he does. He doesn't train her like a bird dog. Yeah. No, yeah. He's just yeah. an idiot and is in, has puppy love because he's still a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking
3: of puppies, poodles are a theme. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Winona Ryder loves poodles and they're everywhere in her house. And she has a stuffed poodle that when he finally gets a bed in her his cousin's house, he sleeps in her bedroom. Yeah. And he, he usurps her bedroom. And she takes her stuffed poodle off the bed, and when they're getting married, which is totally fucked,
1: (laughs) there's a poodle on her sweater.
0: And she gets a real poodle, yeah.
1: Yeah, real poodle comes later. There's a lot of symbolism of, like, Childhood or adolescence, because there's all the bubblegum. the bubble
0: gum thing. I mean, well, besides the color scheme where bubble gum comes up all the time, we see one of the first times we see Winona Ryder's character. She's blowing bubbles. Remember the thing where they and leave? She's she like
1: gets twirling off the it. Yeah, she's school bus, yeah,
0: she yeah, she's school twirling bus. it
1: around her finger, and
0: and then they leave to go to Sun Studios. and so she's like watching them leave, playing with bubble gum, and then we see Jerry Lee Lewis blowing bubble gum relentlessly through the movie it's like so explicitly connected nice uh and um but also the uh the symbol i i pointed out earlier of the fact that when myra goes to move in with jerry once they're married and it's out in the open all of her she packs her clothing into a dollhouse like
1: yeah geez she
0: i don't even think she has a suitcase in that scene she just uh she, yeah, it's like she's shoving clothes into, like, a tiny little room of the dollhouse. It's while like,
3: sobbing. Yeah, it's,
0: like, so, it's so weird, but it's not presented as, like, horrifying, like, he's a predator snatching her away. It's just, like, implicitly horrifying.
3: It's like a John Waters <laughs> film where you're like, oh, this is fucked up and funny.
4: Yeah.
1: God, the comparison to, that we made while we watched it to Cry Baby. Yeah. I feel like John Waters watched this yes, movie indeed. and made Cry Baby. It felt like it, at least. Because yeah. all the, like, Johnny Depp... Cry
3: uh, Baby is a good feel, too, where you're like, fucked up things happen, but it's not grounded in a, in reality enough for you to feel horrified.
1: Yeah. And same, like, type of production design and... Yeah, color. And color, and yeah. Although I would say that I, I think Jim McBride is a talented director. He's a
0: really good director. I was noticing... Like there's we we just saw a, a, a DVD of Great Balls of Fire. There's no Blu-ray. Uh, you can't stream it anywhere. But we saw uh, last year, I want to say, we saw the 35 millimeter of Jim McBride's remake of Breathless and the, the, Breathless. Yeah, Breathless, uh... which is a Jerry Lee Lewis song used <laughs> heavily in this movie and very heavily in Breathless. Um, uh, Jim McBride's directing in Breathless. He's essentially remaking. Well, it's it's a movie that in the French New Wave is one of the most important, if not the most important film, and he remakes it to be specifically American, and then also put it in the context of the United States. Richard Gere is is replacing um, I say Jean Paul Belmondo, but I have never seen the original Breathless, so I might get the actor name wrong. Uh, big cinephile foul right there, but either way, he's an amazing director. Some of the shots of just like. The sky in Breathless or in Great Balls of Fire, where it's like the sun is setting oh, yeah. and the cloud color. There's so many you, beautiful shots of this.
1: You pointed out where J. Lee Lewis is playing at the the concert, yeah, and it's even like the, the pink clouds
3: itself are like the same color of the house and a lot of the color scheme, where it's blue and pink. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's beautiful. Did I do
3: have to say, I have a question: Are all of his other movies featuring like ten drive-by shots? I tried to keep count. There's like so many scenes
1: where they he drives by things and waves at people. Actually, breathless, uh, in that movie, a big part of that movie is they drive around in a car.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's so, <laughs> like I was like, how
1: are it's people it's very American? How
3: are people recognizing him so well? I understand that he's famous, but this is pre-iPhone, pre everyone <laughs> seeing pictures all the time and they recognize him so quickly. And he drives by the radio station, like, yeah. three times. Does he Ellen live in, in that
0: house? town, I guess? I guess so. I think, again, I'm continuing my argument that everything is a shorthand, it was the strategy of, we need him to keep passing by these things so we can show the passage of time, and if he hops uh, in a car, sure. we can go boom, boom, boom. We don't have to have a conversation. We don't even, we barely have to edit it. We just, like, throw the slices together, put a Jerry Lee Lewis song over it, boom, it's a montage, plot has been conveyed, we can move on.
3: It happened too much.
0: It happened a shitload. Yeah, uh, I, I I can't say I had a problem with it, but definitely like there's a few moments where I re- I was like like the, okay the, a good example again is the scene where they use the song Breathless because the back half of it is a very uh, troubling scene we've referenced before uh, Myra losing her virginity and so the song Breathless playing like, during that is like it, it like the scene gets like super haunting but the first half of it is just them like. Wasting money, not wasting, but just spending money. It's like a capitalism montage of like, we're rich now, we're married now, let's buy stuff. What would a
1: 13-year-old buy in a store? Yeah. She'd buy a pink refrigerator. And they're
0: like throwing money around and stuff like that. And then, so, but like that first half of it, it's like, the idea of they have a bunch of money and they can do whatever they want with it has been kind of, that groundwork has been laid. So that is kind of a redundant first half, but then it lulls. You into like 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 almost the music video quality of the scene, so that when they start having sex, it's like it's like a rock is in your stomach out of nowhere. Yeah, it's like really intense. Who
1: is the audience for this movie?
0: Yeah, I don't know
1: Americans
0: because if you when we I looked <laughs> at the reviews, people did not like this when it came out. No, Roger none, Ebert. Didn't none like of the it. reviews seem to talk about the incest part of it. They're all like, "Oh, this is just another dumb biopic." And that's, like, the weirdest thing to me, is that idea of, like, oh, this is bad because it's a generic biopic. Like, I can understand someone not liking this I guess
1: maybe, because this came out in 1989, so now we're almost 30 years later full of biopics, and there's so many worse, more boring... But
0: biopics have always happened. You remember, Chicago Film Society showed one a couple weeks ago that was a biopic made in the 30s of a guy who... By the time, like, he died, and then the movie came out less than six months after his death, and the movie ended with his death. Like, biopics wow. about people have always been a thing.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: I'm just saying, like, so it's it's not even, you could put it in the trend of, like, oh, this is, like, one of the first ones, and so it seemed to be copying up other ones. It's, like, th- I can't think of, like... It's
3: not another one of anything.
0: Yeah it's so it's like what Jim McBride chooses to do with it structurally and visually and the how much he distances the audience from relating to its protagonist yes. is like so different than any other like like you mentioned walk the line and walk the line Johnny Cash is. He's,
3: humanized. He's
0: very humanized, and he has a drug problem. I. What else does he do? And that's uh, bad in that Reese Witherspoon
3: got her Oscar he's, for that. I mean, yeah. he cheats on his wife yeah. in the movie, and he's an alcoholic, right? Yeah, and you like you see
1: with his face a lot more emotion than.
3: Uh, well,
1: I I hate to be this person, but I'm gonna go ahead and say that Joaquin Phoenix is a much more talented yeah. actor than Dennis Quaid. Yes. Oh. I I love you Dennis Quaid but Joaquin has got you there I mean he's he's I saw the master
4: well (laughs) yeah the
3: tone is completely different but yeah you you want Johnny Cash to make better choices as you watch the movie yeah in this you're like I know what happens
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's fine (laughs) yeah are you rooting for Jerry Lee Lewis to not marry his cousin? You're like, what, well, what else is he going to well, do? And think
0: of, like, think of a movie like Ray, or because I haven't seen Ray, I'll shortcut with Walk Hard, where uh, <laughs> it opens with the main character's brother dying. Like they, That's the backstory for Ray. The backstory for Walk Hard is the brother died, and so it's this guilt that hangs over. Jerry Lee Lewis, the movie is like, I watched some black people do music. I'm going to do the music. I, I do music now. There's no, like, thing, there's no yeah. core that he's coming from and that's how we're introduced to him. And so, we're not even, a a, we're not even introduced to him in a way where, like, I can relate to that because it's like, oh yeah, I love to rip somebody off. him <laughs> but most people don't have the ability to just do that so you can't even empathize on that level. I
1: kind of like that you <laughs> were introduced to him as being, like,
0: a dick. A voyeur.
1: Yeah. yeah, and then
0: also when he's playing the piano he's, like, a huge braggart about, like, I'm the greatest, he, like, he's immediately full of ego. Yeah, but
1: when- <laughs> when Winona Ryder meets him, he's singing that religious song, the How Great Thou How Art, I but am. he sings How Great I Am.
0: Yeah. yeah. How
2: great I am. Well, and he am.
0: says, he constantly throughout the movie, every time the religious stuff comes up, there's lines where he like gives the card to Jimmy Swagger, and he's like, don't thank Jesus, thank Jerry Lee Lewis. Wait, you
1: gotta do it in the voice. You
0: do it. Uh, don't, give me a second. Don't thank Jesus. Thank Jerry Lewis. <laughs> that <laughs> really close. That really <laughs>
1: close. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta,
0: you gotta put a little Jimmy Stewart in your mouth. <laughs> Get it, <a>
1: Southern Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <shirt. Zimmer. laughs>
0: jabroni Jabroni It's getting real weird.
3: Uh, <laughs> Basically you open your mouth and you push out the words and you sound stupid. The like way I remember,
0: the... I wrote down England because he says England is Angland and piano or piano. I, I, if I'm going to hell, I'm going yeah. to play the piano.
1: He doesn't say, even say the I. He says I, piano,
0: piano. Yeah, <laughs> also, down. I
1: wrote down because he says ain't no big deal at one point, but he says it like.
0: I ain't no big deal. He said, you don't move like no virgin. I wrote that one down. Um, Okay, I wanted to mention this while we're talking about the uh, don't think Jesus thing, is because of the way in which this is kind of stripped down, even though it's it's resisting typical biopic traits, by being willing to criticize Jerry Lee Lewis by at least bringing up and focusing so much on this dark chapter of his life, it's so much more relatable and comparable to other musicians. And the, the Jesus thing really evokes to me the bigger than Jesus Beatles controversy, where they, they, they do you know about this? Yeah, yeah I don't know. think I do. Yep. All right, Emily, do you want no. sure to... No. I mean, uh, I... The Beatles did an interview. They
3: did like, it was like a press conference or something, and somebody asked them about Jesus.
0: They asked, well, it was basically a, a very just a very casual question i don't remember what the question was but the response was along the lines of we're bigger than jesus aka we are currently more popular than jesus but um, uh people in that era were dumb even dumber than they are now if you can imagine that it it was almost more like well not that we're
4: more popular but Perhaps we have more name recognition.
0: Yeah, there we go. That's even name more accurate. And mm. so, but like, people were like burning Beatles <laughs> albums over this. No, way. Yeah, so yes. I got yes. And like, so refused, yeah. refusing to play Beatles stuff. It was like a huge deal for And they like, but and so They see, got banned from a couple states, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so Probably this whole I'll thing where Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> Probably this, Jerry Lee
3: like, Lewis states. The southern, <laughs>
0: southern musician who is like flagrantly like like mocking Jesus and like rejecting religion. He doesn't and stuff like need that. Jesus. Life yeah. has
3: been real easy for
0: him. Exactly. But like yeah. there's a, just that. And we kind of mentioned like the, the whole, he's like a child. His ego keeps people from telling him no. I mean, how many musicians does that sound like? Like it's like I mean, Kanye is the easy one. Uh, oh my uh, God. Like,
1: Can you imagine a Kanye
0: biopic?
1: There <laughs> will who's, be. Who's going to play Kanye in like 20 years?
0: We don't know the act, like yeah, they're actor. the they not alive that yet. actor is, like, We're in fifth really. grade dreaming about playing Johnny <laughs> <Dragon> right now.
1: <laughs> I wrote this down. Okay, so I checked the clock on the, on the movie, but 12 minutes into the movie, there had been no conflict for Jerry Lee Lewis. He arrives at his cousin's house and is able to crash on the couch. He drives crazily through the town and doesn't get arrested by the cops.
0: Oh, it's oh. also worth pointing out too that his con- the closest we do get to a conflict is they make that recording and take it to Sun Studios and the guy isn't there and then they cut later. It's like four days later and Jerry Lewis is upset because he hasn't hurt. Heard- he hasn't come back in he town hasn't yet.
3: Been immediately.
0: And then yes. what happens? Sam Phillips comes back to town listens to the album, immediately loves it. Yeah, he and says, he- I can, I can <laughs> that, so. So not even conflict, it's just the delay of gratification. Right, and
1: that's within the first 12 minutes. Yeah. And that's also when he has no issue, like, leaving the dinner and yeah. just, like,
0: driving away.
1: What is a conflict for him? Yeah, what? I guess his I mean, only conflict... not until he gets to England.
0: Yeah. He's his, a, but again, it's like he's a child. He, and
1: even when he's in England, he's like, "Well, England can kiss my ass," or rather,
0: "England can kiss my ass." But he's or he's, like, he says. He's, he's like a child <laughs> in his rejection of social mores. Like that's a, 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 a another through line we can see throughout the film is the portrayal of Jerry Lee Lewis as a person who does not give a shit about literally any rule that he is told to follow. Like sure. the, every step of the way. There's something that someone says I mean, and his rejects. His cousin
3: did not specifically say, "Don't tickle fight my daughter." No. I mean. <laughs>
0: yeah, but like we like, while just, you learn about. But the like, age what mom. what age of person gets up and leaves during dinner? Like, angrily. He's like, he pouts. He's not like they're he's like...
1: 13-year-olds? Because yeah. I definitely did Exactly.
0: That. <laughs> he doesn't get... It. He leaves without a word and goes outside and he's huffing and puffing and they're like, oh, he's just mad. Like, they talk about him like he's a teenager. He crashes on their couch. He's like, everything about this. And then, um... Yeah, it's just, he's very...
3: And knowing that he's twice divorced already with kids, yeah. they're like, oh, this piece of shit is just moving on to the next thing.
0: Yeah. It's... And, and again, the fact that they don't show his kids only helps to emphasize his childlike nature. Like, if we saw him with kids in there, they would either have to be used more, and so we'd see him trying to be a father or, like, rejecting the father role, but by not portraying them at all, it limits our, like, the context of what we know about him. And again, too, um, we're trying to, if we're talking about empathy, again, by, like, removing more elements of his backstory from this, uh, and then f- just reducing it down to this career arc, then that removes more empathy, or t- opportunities for empathy, so we're more just forced to see like a God's-eye view on Jerry Lee Lewis. Like, Speaking
3: of God's-eye view, they loved to put mirrors in front of him while he was playing piano.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: He loved watching himself. Yeah, yeah, that was
4: what they were trying to... That was yeah.
1: the point, yeah. Uh, going out... Uh, so, this movie... It's based on a book written by Myra, the 13-year-old. She wasn't 13 when she wrote the book, obviously, but uh, it's based on a book that she wrote with this, like, music historian, and both her and the music historian have come out against the movie, saying, like, you know, it doesn't portray what was in the book or reality at all, but... There are facts that go along with the movie, like the fact that he did marry her when she was 13 years old. He was 22 years old. So it's not like their age gap was huge. No. But she was 13 years old. Yeah. I can't imagine marrying someone when I'm 13 years old. I mean, old.
0: it's creepy when, you, when you, I, I'm sure if you, you guys might remember this, but in high school, when you knew someone who was a freshman, and they were dating someone who had like just graduated high school, and was in college, mm-hmm. I knew, I had a friend, I had a couple friends like that, I'll be honest, in high school, and it was always a huge bummer. It was like really, yeah. It was it was so like, but it was it's common enough, but it's it's gross even when you're that age. Yeah. And so seeing it at this distance, it makes it even weirder.
1: Well, and this actually did cause him to be blacklisted. Like he, it did, yeah. as you said, essentially end his career. It didn't end his career for long. It ended his career for about a decade. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he. After America found out that he was married to his cousin, they were like, no, I don't want to hear your music anymore, because all I can think about when you're talking about a girl that's, like, setting you on fire or uh, making your blood boil is your cousin.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, when he plays Great Balls of Fire in the movie, they show, they cut, it's like his face cutting to... Uh, Winona Ryder watching it's like them looking directly oh, yeah. at each other most of it's this movie so is, sexual
1: most of this
3: movie is close-ups on faces
0: yeah a yeah. lot of close-ups on faces
3: driving and close-ups
4: yeah, yeah. And Winona, Winona Ryder does so many great like classic
0: Winona Ryder confused looks yeah, yeah. <laughs> Winona Ryder is great in this like I feel like
1: yeah we need to give her a shout-out yeah She's only 18 in and this, this movie. And
0: granted, too, this is an era where a rider was really great and everything. So she's just continuing a string of great performances. Yeah,
1: and I would say that she matches the level of camp in this movie.
0: Yeah, because she plays up her... She doesn't try to play her character as a woman. She plays no. her as a teen. Yeah. And that's another reason why this movie is so effectively creepy is because it's not we're not seeing like again the problem when you usually see something like this in a movie is that the teenager is sexualized is made more adult seeming and we never for a moment forget that she is a a girl. A child. Yeah. The bubblegum helps out, the pigtails. Yeah, tails. she
3: always wears, like, nautical-themed outfits. And, like, she's <laughs> yeah, a she's got the girl. the little
1: patch of... Um,
3: Lapels are, yeah, or... Yeah, on the
1: front, and then it trails down the back of her shoulders, and she's got the little bow on her shirts and collars. And, yeah. yeah. She looks very childlike. Um. Okay, I want to talk about the real Jerry Lee Lewis okay. for a minute, because Emily asked during the movie... Um, Jerry Lee Lewis has the nickname of The Killer... And, Paulo, what were you saying as to why you think he has that nickname? Well, I just
0: knew he had an album called All Killer, No Filler, and I know specifically because Sum 41 stole that album title for their debut. <laughs> well, not their debut, <laughs> but the one with Fat Lip, their breakthrough album. But All Killer, No Filler is a really awesome name for an album.
1: Was there no filler on that album? Do you know?
0: I mean, did we hear any filler in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, we did. All
1: right. Did
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I? Maybe. I think it was on the same
4: piano. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did, did he play this... Did he play
1: more than one song? <laughs> 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 That's the, <Ooh. laughs> That's pretty good, really. <laughs> You should go as a piano for Halloween. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but okay. The real Jerry Lee Lewis, like I said, this movie ended his career, but not forever. It ended it for about a decade.
0: This and, not the movie, or not the, the movie? Incident. I'm sorry.
1: The incident. The, the the marriage. The marriage, which is funny because. His career picked up while he was still married to Myra. Him and Myra were married for 12 years. They had two kids together. So she went from the age of 13 to 25 married to him and had two kids. Man. Isn't that like nuts? Yeah. <laughs> okay, and this is already after he had married two other women and had two other kids. So now he has four kids And three wives. I mean, two ex-wives, one current wife. He has been married a total of seven times. Jesus. Seven (laughs) times! He... Okay. First wife, Dorothy Barton. He was married to her for 20 months between 1952 and 1953. Second wife, Jane Mitchum. Married to her for four years between 1953 and 1957. They had two kids. Myra... 13 years, actually, married from 57 to 70, and two kids. Then, okay, and this is where it gets into the weirdness of his nickname.
0: Yeah.
1: He married a woman named Jaron Elizabeth Gunn-Pate. Jaren Jaron Elizabeth Gunn-Pate. They were married for 11 years, from 71 to 82. They had one kid, and she drowned mysteriously... While they were going through divorce filings. Ooh. He killed her. Then, he married a woman named Sean Stevens. They were married for 77 days. And their marriage ended with her death. And there are supposed allegations that he may have been involved
0: with her death. Yikes.
4: I feel a better movie coming out. Yeah. Right? Like, why
1: wasn't the movie about his later life? Um... Then, he was married to a woman named Carrie McCarver for 21 years. He was married most of his life. Yeah, geez. <laughs> He had, like, no gaps in marriage. Um, he was married to her from 84 to 05, and they had one kid. So, if you're keeping track, six kids. Yeah. Six kids. And as I mentioned when we were watching the movie, three of them are named Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis. Number one, number two, number three. And now, he's married to another woman named Judith Brown, and they got married in 2012. And as I mentioned, he is currently 81 years old. Jesus. So he got married at 75.
0: So he's the Mick Jagger of, of uh, whatever. Of oh, country of, music of piano, like I guess. Yeah, piano? <laughs> Rack and... No. No. Yeah, he's the Mick Jagger of rock and roll. Well, okay, really quickly, before we get too far off that, I do want to mention, because I looked this up. Uh, Elvis Presley, it said, said was, started seeing Priscilla Presley, who eventually became Priscilla Presley, uh, when she was 14. And they didn't, she didn't move, she moved in with him when she was 18, but everything I read said, like, there's very good reason to believe they started a sexual relationship probably when she was 14. Wow. And so, the difference, essentially, because it's like so similar to what happened with Jerry Lee Lewis, but... I think, and to a certain degree, we would say that, obviously, Elvis kept it a little bit more on the down low, so he got away with it more. On the down low. But I would say it also probably has a little bit more to do with the duration of success that Elvis had up to that point.
1: Well, and I'm sure Elvis had more people who were advising (laughs) him about his fame and saying, do you really want America to know you're sleeping with a 15-year-old? Or how will this affect your image? You're already a polarizing character with your shaky hips. Like, how will it it come out if you're dating someone who's everyone's daughter's age?
4: Yeah, you know. Right. And let's be clear, like Jerry Lee Lewis went uh, and with the window on a rider, I suppose. Um, went to a wedding chapel without her parents when she was 13 and got a legal marriage. That's yeah.
1: how it's portrayed in the movie. Yeah. I don't know oh, if that's a okay. fact. It but did say specifically they were
3: going to Mississippi, so also, currently in the U.S., it is legal to be married underage in all 50 states. As long as
1: you have the consent of the parent. Yeah. yeah. So it's still legal. It's still messed up. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You can get married at 12. Yeah.
0: And so, up. and so, everything that we're describing is super disturbing, but it's also legal in the world of the 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 world that this is taking place in, and not like a, f- a fictional reality, but real America. And so, it is this weird. It's no, this,
3: they're all real
0: America. <laughs> <laughs> they're all real
3: Americans.
0: Fair enough, but the yeah, just the fact that they, the, this thing that is being it's portrayed in such a neutral way that it is both portraying it as it would have happened and is portraying it in a way that allows it to be, like, upsetting. Where it's not, like, trying to make excuses for it. It's not like, well, back in those days, people just thought differently. It's like, you uh,
1: know. I got married when I was 15, and Like, so basically, so also, you. like,
0: a good example, too, is when, when people, the moment, like, the record executives find out that he's married, they freak out on him. Yeah. It's not just the parents. Everybody is upset about this. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the movie... It's, its So there's no, like, coddling to it. It's like, you fucking moron! Oh, oh, you're making money, so I guess we'll run with it. Oh, you made it! Oh, you fucking moron! It's just, like, it's its bad. It's clearly bad, but even still, like, it's, like I said, the, the, the gap that the, the movie bridges with its tone.
1: I will say that for this movie, having themes of casual incest... It doesn't go the gross route. Yeah, at
4: yeah.
1: no point was I like super grossed out. I mean, there's scenes where Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder make out, but. I don't know. Like, I never got really super grossed out by the idea that they were cousins. Well, and
0: again, too, it's
1: more just like it's like Game of Thrones. Thro- season actually, one versus season six. It, I actually was more upset by their age difference than by the fact that they were related.
0: But again, this is she what I'm didn't saying even is
1: know him till she was 13,
0: right? But but again, this is what I'm saying is the movie the the amazing balance of tone that Jim McBride pulls off. This is why it's important that I emphasize that. It portrays him as sincerely loving her. In his mind, he believes that what he feels for her is sincere love. Because in those scenes, if it had been set up that it's predatory at all, those scenes where they're making out would have that subtext. Sure. But they have the subtext of genuine love and the reality. You have to remind yourself, like, no, this is actually wrong. Like, like, you know, I'm not saying you have to. Like, it's not a... I was it's gross. That <laughs> like, reminder's
1: always But there. it's
0: it's you have the ability to watch those scenes without vomiting the whole time because it's so the one level of complexity we get to this emotion is the complexity of like but they do they think this is a good idea. Both of them equally are on board with this. He did Except not force... like
3: during the actual yeah. wedding ceremony when Ryder is her eyes are open, her head is tilted, her mouth is open. And she's just staring blankly. Yeah. yeah. She seems to be having she real second not fat. know what's going
0: on. Well, and we should mention, too, that he does, very close to the end of the movie, hit her.
3: Yeah, you're yeah. right.
0: Yeah, there's that scene where it's like he's at his very lowest, and he hits her, and she's like, hey, you're, you're not going to be able to hit me anymore. And she's trying to tell him it's because she's pregnant, and it's good news, but he immediately is like, well, like, what? Don't he, tell me what to do, yeah, kind and, of and attitude. Freaks yeah. out, and... Yeah. People hit
3: me all the time, but figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get smashed all the time.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, I, another another example, I'm just looking through my notes. Another example of Jerry Lee Lewis being a child. Uh, this idea of he's like a very, uh, like, he's clearly not an adult. Is there's a scene where Jerry Lee Lewis takes Myra to get ice cream. And they go to. He gets out of the car and goes to the ice cream. The
1: cream cone. The
0: cream cone, something like that. But there's three. Uh, The three ice cream girls working there. They say they're like Jerry Lee Lewis, and they all get excited and they run up to the window and he's talking to them and he's like, "Hey, girls, I just need two ice creams. Can you take it out of this?" And hands them his check, his royalty royalty check, check, which is for forty thousand dollars, and. That's it's an amazing amount of money, especially in that time. It'd be awesome. In 1958, but who is he bragging to? Like, think about this is not this (laughs) scene is not part of a montage. This is not like a casual like, hey, quickly, I'm gonna go brag. This is a scene set aside in the movie to show Jerry Lewis bragging to people he doesn't know in a way that is embarrassing. Like really, like if like what kind of bragging is that? Who are like he just wants to impress anybody. But if again, if you put it in the mind of like a teenager, he like, went
3: with no money
0: essentially. Yeah, he went
1: with no cash.
0: He just went to he, he and then they... yeah. Why
1: Nona Ryder ends up having to pay for it?
0: I thought they got it for free. Yeah, they they calmed, calmed oh yeah. right, yeah. but yeah. she
1: had a dollar. Yeah,
0: but like still, but like he's this is the type of behavior we see from him. Is is like he's, he's his ego, but he's not like. Flaunting his money, like, I'm gonna buy this property and show my neighbors how great I am. He goes to brag to teenage girls about yeah. how amazing and rich or he is, or his
1: religious uh cousin,
0: yeah, to rub it in his face, oh. like, Yeah, I chose this and his look how great it's going for me.
1: Sweaty, sexy Alec Baldwin <laughs> cousin, oh, Alec Baldwin at his finest, he's looking good. I hit that. you did you that, Matt. I hit I'd that. buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I want to mention this, Paulo, because I feel like you'd get a kick out of it, but originally, Terrence Malick was approached to write a version of this movie, and he wrote a script, and it was deemed too dark.
4: <laughs> I have a feeling that's why a lot of the themes in this sh- in this movie didn't get played out was because they wanted to mass market it to people that really wanted to be nostalgic about the
0: 50s. Yes. Well,
4: and a
3: lot yeah, of people... Like, all the scenes about the sexy black dancers at the black quarter, chocolate quarter? Yeah. Ugh. Like, they're... He, at one point, it's Christmas time and he leaves his religious cousin's house to go to the chocolate quarter and watch them in the barn dance. And that's where he steals the song. They are sexy dancing to Christmas music.
1: (laughs) They look great.
3: They look great, but serious but like And they what- look like they're having a great This time. is written by people who don't know what black people do at Christmas time. Sure. They do not dance sex sexily and hump each other to Christmas music at Christmas
0: time. Well here you know, okay, here's a theme that we haven't really touched on. Is there anything you guys want to say about the way in which black culture is portrayed in this movie or the well, function of it? It's a
3: commodity
1: used by white people to make money.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's presented. Almost more campy than any yeah. everything else in the movie.
0: Again, though, like I'm going. Hairspray. I'm going to argue that yeah, like, like in hairspray. It's it's camped up to summarize the energy and the sure. joy that is like like when you see those scenes of black music, it is very much shorthanded. We do not get an actual real sense of what black culture is, but we get that to Jerry Lee Lewis. It represents life and fun yeah. and sure. energy. And they
3: do have a good time in yeah. that barn.
0: And the idea that the religious cousin is afraid of that, like the that yeah. religion means a repression of joy. And Jerry Lee Lewis, especially as like a, like a perpetual child, is always going to choose joy.
3: They it, refer to black music as the devil's music.
0: Oh, yeah, and there's, there's multiple moments where they, like, there's uh, the line well, where then, they refer to the savage animal rhythms uh, of black music, uh, uh, and then also the scene where they're playing at the redneck bar, and the guy says, we can't play N-word music here. They might lynch us. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah,
3: the N-word is thrown out. Yeah, there's a,
0: a casual... I mean, a
4: couple of times, though. It's, it, it's, it's, I think it's just once. It it's, is it just, I
0: think, is it just once? If it's, if it's not just once, then it's only twice. But it's like, when we watch but Butterfly Effect...
1: But more than enough. It, it
0: happens in Butterfly Effect where there's one N-word just, like, right in the middle of it. Ugh. And this one, it's it's at a bar where there's a big Confederate flag, and they're playing... Everyone
3: is just punching they're each just other. They're
0: just having a bar fight, but they start playing a whole lot of shaking going on, and this woman who's wearing, like, f- white fringe... It, like, what is it? It's, like, like leather a fringy,
3: fringe. Uh, cowboy top.
0: But one. she starts dancing in a way that's, like, making the fringe dance on her clothes. It's clearly, like, very sexual. This movie goes so over the top in sexualizing the piano. <laughs> it's like really no Yeah, it doesn't it.
1: sexualize people as much as it sexualizes the piano.
0: Yeah.
1: Um well, and there's also that conflict with his being raised in religion but playing music that's referring to sex or sexual content. Mm-hmm. Like I in in actuality, Jerry Lee Lewis was kicked out of the Southwest Bible Institute for, and I quote, playing boogie-woogie versions of religious songs. I, like, boogie-woogie versions.
4: This, this movie could be deemed racist in a number of ways. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, you know, certainly that's one of them. Um,
1: yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and I think the whole argument of, like, can you have faith and still perform, like, sexual music is a big theme that I
0: think... A false dichotomy. But is it a theme or is not... it implicit for the era? Yeah,
4: because a lot sure. of the
0: racist stuff that we're talking about is implicit the era. Kind of like, it has, like, if you're going to say some of this stuff is racist content, then you're also saying that the movie endorses incest, too. Mm. And if it doesn't endorse incest, then it doesn't endorse the the racism that the characters have in the movie. Sure. Uh, I think it partly endorses incest, and I think it partly endorses racism. Man. You think so? I don't know. I feel like there is definitely, there's no criticism. I will say that for sure. But I do feel like the movie is trying to lay this stuff out flat. And it does reduce it, but it doesn't eliminate it. Like we said, we could he could have made, there has to be a version of this movie, especially in the 80s, that is made where the incest stuff is presented in a way that makes her seem more mature, make it seem like the world just doesn't understand, like a Romeo and Juliet sort it's of. Just,
3: there's no consequences ever for him doing shit.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's part of the, the issue like, of, like, whether he, it endorses, like Matt was saying, yeah. whether it endorses racism or incest is because, because... there's no consequences. Well, it's yeah. uh, more than that, Dennis Quaid as J. Lee Lewis you neither hate him or love him. Like, he's not portrayed, as we mentioned before, as the villain, but he's also not portrayed as a good guy. He's not someone you like or think of as, like, smart or sophisticated. his character
3: is very flat.
1: Right, and so it's almost presented objectively to you as the audience saying, like, well, this is how Jerry Lee Lewis was. So you make your own assumptions of what he, you know, what he thinks or wh- how his behavior affects you.
0: And I think, too, like, the reason it's hard for me to say anything, like, strongly about this movie endorsing anything is because it does end in a way that at no point does the movie tell you to like him. Does The movie doesn't tell you to like him Anything the movie doesn't tell you to like Myra, and, and, not, and not, the movie doesn't even position Myra in any like it positions her in a sympathetic light. You feel bad for what happens to her, but it is like there's so much distance between this, and I really feel like, especially with the era it's dealing with, and the fact that it's like the stuff where we see him copy black music. I don't think, like I said, I don't think there's any clear criticism, but I do think it's the implicit of the best you can do to make a movie without over-moralizing or over-narrativizing is to present the information as specifically as you can and as broadly as you can at the same time. Hit that sweet spot and just hope the audience is willing to engage with it. I keep, I wish, I should say, listener, that I'm very much seeing this movie through the lens of mother and mother was a movie that is very clearly not built on absolutes and so the idea of a movie having symbolism that is meant to be read one specific way is like a very frustrating idea for me right now because i just saw an example of it not being that and especially with this movie again we're talking about something like incest where we see pretty much in any other thing it being bad even in game of thrones you, you read think pieces every time where it's like, I can't believe they went this far again even though I watch this show every week and I should fucking know by now that it's going to happen. <laughs> there's still this shit. But, like, most of the time, with like, I think of... The movie I think of about incest is... Monster? No. Oh. Tim Roth directed a movie called The War Zone. And in it, it's this uh, this this four-person family. There's a mother and father and a son and a daughter. And the son discovers that his father is fucking his sister. And the mother is, like, basically just... She has no idea. Well, she's pregnant, and she's just, like, kind of like a waifish character, and she just has no idea, but also really would not be able to do anything about it. And so it kind of falls to the boy to be the only witness to, like, what's happening to his sister. It's super dark. But that's how you think of incest being portrayed, is that way. Yeah. And this movie takes the route of, like... This is what it is. And like I said, in terms of the law at the time, even though we see the amorality of him trying to hide it from her parents, it's still, we're seeing it in the context that it was legal at the time. Again, I'm not saying this movie is necessarily criticizing anything. I'm just really trying to argue for this, like, this flattened depiction that the movie is trying to do. Hmm. Yeah. I can't
1: really argue with that. Yeah. I, I would say that, like I said, I don't think this movie endorses anything, really. Yeah.
0: I think that's a big reason why a lot of people hated it, honestly, is when it came out. Because it
1: doesn't take a hard line. Yeah, it
0: really is. Most movies, you kind of, even like something like The Master, after we talked about it, we're like, oh, The Master is clearly trying to present this argument. It does it vaguely, and it hopes you get there, but there's an argument. Besides what i kind of said of, like, through lines, I really don't think this movie was made... To give you a clear answer, and based on what I know of Jim McBride's career, I don't really think he was trying to do something that straightforward. He's, he's a much more difficult, thoughtful director, and I feel like it's just a weird mismatch of like
1: from what I audience know of expectation
0: him... and director tropes.
1: Yeah, from what I know of him, he likes to make thoughtful uh, snapshots of American life.
0: Well, and think about his *Breathless* remake, where it's Richard Gere and the French woman—I forgot her actress's name—but uh,
1: Picard, it's like Val- Valerie or
0: something. Yeah. But uh, they have a terrible relationship like he he's basically terrible to her he abandons her or he'll just like force her to do things and, but like the movie doesn't portray it as like oh they clearly have a bad relationship and she needs to escape it's it portrays more it very it takes a distance and it's like sometimes it's good for them sometimes it's bad for them and sometimes she tries to get away from it but sometimes it's exactly what she wants and sometimes she has power and sometimes she doesn't and it's more complicated than that and so uh, from that again I'm just kind of monologuing at this point, so I'll stop. <laughs> does anyone else have any other things you guys want to talk about? Uh, any specific details or?
1: There's a weird moment where they parallel this movie with *Gone with the Wind*. Oh yeah, where they play the <laughs> da 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 da, uh, da 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 da. Yeah, that music, and he like picks up Winona Ryder and carries her to the bedroom. Which is so weird, because this it's movie is not like, like Gone with the Wind. It
3: doesn't take you to anything else. It's like another thing where it's like, here's this theme. Don't read into it. There you go. Yeah. It's gone.
1: Yeah, yeah weird. It's Gone with weird, the like a That s-
3: reference was Gone with Like a
1: southern touchpoint, I guess. Um, but yeah, the only other thing that I have to touch on, which is just a random piece of trivia, is that Winona Ryder turned down... The role of Julia Roberts's character in *Steel Magnolias* <laughs> to play this part. Yeah,
0: but that's because Winona Ryder picks better screenplays than Julia Roberts.
1: But that is a very iconic role for Julia Roberts.
0: Yeah. At least for me. Oh yeah, but it's and it's more appropriate of a role for her. Whereas Winona Ryder that... should do like weirder move. I mean, like, oh, definitely. that's why when they put her in *Stranger Things*, it was like. Yeah, she should be, even if she's the mom, she should be the mom in a weird thing instead of, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's true. Oh, and she's so good in Black Swan. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, I, I have the, the two things I wanted to mention really quickly. They're two little filmmaking things, but they're really uh, just two very specific examples of what a skillful, smart, interesting filmmaker I think Jim McBride is. Uh, first, there is a scene... A, a randomly like far into the movie where Jerry and Myra are having a phone conversation and they film it in split screen but they split the screen with like an old style curly telephone cord mm-hmm. that's and so good. if nothing else should illustrate to you how campy the aesthetic of this movie is than that that's like a down uh, down with love level touch. Yeah, in or terms like of bye bye like, birdie. Yeah, day. where it's like it's like this movie we're seeing a conversation between, like I said, it's an adult man and his underage bride, but it's like has a campy thing dividing their image. So it's constantly trying to like play the aesthetic off of that. So like it's right. I don't know, I, I really love that that choice. It's so weird and it's It's
1: very teenage. Yeah. 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 And equating back to what we've been talking about of Jerry Lee Lewis as a child.
0: Yeah. But the other piece of filmmaking I wanted to mention, I talked about, again, in Mother, Mother has a scene that, for me, struck me as the movie in microcosm early on. And I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to spoil Mother for anybody. You should go see it and have a great argument with your loved one or someone you know who hates movies. But (laughs) this movie, uh, Great Balls of Fire, also has a scene that is a microcosm scene, I would argue. And it is the scene early on where... Every biopic about a musician has this scene uh, where a character hears their song on the radio for the first time. I thought of Glitter, because Glitter totally has this scene. Yeah, But every music biopic has this scene where they finally know they've hit it big. And in this movie... I
2: thought
3: about Atlanta.
0: And in this movie, when they hear this... When Jerry Lee Lewis hears his song, that's the scene where he drives crazy through the town to get to Myra. And Mm -hmm. what happens when he gets to Myra, the police show up immediately and so we have he gets success he uses the first person he goes to with his success is myra and trouble follows that decision and that is the movie like structurally kind of just summed up within the first like
3: that rhymes with B that stands for
1: balls that's balls of fire
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's it those are the last two things i want to point out so I, like uh, I guess you know what that means then, Carrie. It's
1: teachable moment time
0: yeah. Do either of you guys have a teachable moment queued up? Nope. No. All right, so. <laughs> all right, well then, I've already been monologuing. I'll just continue to monologue and hopefully you guys will come up with monologue. something. Monologue! Um, so yeah, uh, Jim McBride, I think, is a really interesting director and he's very obscure. He does have a film that is in the National Film Registry, David Holzman's Diary. Uh, But for the most part, his his career has gone overlooked because, as I tried to argue in this one, it's, it's much more thoughtful and complex than it initially seems. And it's very easy to dissuade people. We saw a movie of his that I read about because someone said it had like a Kate Beckinsale nude scene in it, and it ended up being like a historical murder mystery involving chess. Like it's like he's so good at being like misleading what his movies are. He also has a movie that has been pitched to me as erotic Archie comedy. Like it's like an art. The movie's called A Hard Day for Archie slash Hot Times. It has like a bunch of titles, but I, he has a very diverse career. And I think with Great Balls of Fire, if I was going to teach something it would be to watch the way that he approaches the biopic genre, which is, in my mind, one of the toughest genres to make good, to make interesting. Ugh, you stole and,
1: my teachable moment. Sorry.
0: Well, I'll keep talking for a little bit more. i give you some time. Um, but he, I might just add on to yours. Okay. He does such a good job with making it interesting. And again, uh, there's clearly there's a lot to disagree with on what I feel like the movie's trying to say and whether it's good or bad. But it is so different from any other approach to a similar musician, especially there's definitely been biopics about musicians from the fifties. We talked about walk the line. I mentioned Ray. And so this is, this is ground that after great balls of fire, other movies came out that use the cliches that were, people were using before great balls of fire came out. And so, yeah, my digital moment, uh, watch great balls of fire to see the way in which a very, artsy director approaches a very difficult generic mainstream genre and does something interesting with it yeah boom
1: emily you got one no it's tough yeah it's a tough one this one's like i don't know like i
3: guess i have nothing on this one
1: how'd you feel Uh, for me uh what you said before we watched the movie like is this a musical It's not a musical, but it kind of plays like one in that it uses the music of his songs to continue the story of his life. I wouldn't say that the in musicals usually like the lyrics of the song propel propel the story forward this doesn't do that but it does
3: have scenes where they break out and dance to the music that makes no sense in real life
1: sure or they use the music to propel the story forward by montaging whatever's happening and jerry lee lewis's life forward um but my teachable moment backing off of what Paolo said about biopics and what I said earlier about like the formula of biopics, there aren't, I can't remember the last time I saw a good biopic.
3: Walk Honest. hard, walk hard.
1: <laughs> the one that I think of, which you could argue is not really a biopic, it's more of an art house movie, is I'm Not There. Mm. And that was a decade ago, right? Like two thousand and seven. Yeah, it's around then. Yeah, and that again is because it was in the very capable hands of Todd Haynes, and he is more of an art house director. Which is funny because earlier in the conversation, I thought about the Todd Haynes movie *Far From Heaven*. Yeah, which is about Dennis Quaid playing a husband who is deceiving his wife and so on and so forth. But uh,
0: but here, okay, so I guess to help flesh out your teachable moment, uh, think about the way in which Todd Haynes approaches this older material versus the way Jim McBride does. Todd Haynes has a very clear-cut social critique that he's putting in. Sure. Like, Far From Heaven is taking a 50s movie and then being like, Okay, well, there were, were these tensions about uh, gay life or uh, being like not white in this era, and let's bring those to the surface instead of just implying them. Also, far from heaven as Dennis Quaid in it, So it's yeah. worth it bringing. But Jim McBride doesn't have that. He's an auteur, but he doesn't have that point of view. Yeah, he
1: doesn't bring that like so that pointed social critique.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's why
4: I think it's racist because it touches on them without saying that they're a big deal. If I had to teach a moment, I would say don't make a movie about cultural appropriation and incest and religious zealots and um, set it in the southern 50s and then don't really go into any of those topics. I
3: guess, like, I guess if I had to think of any teachable moment for that, like, because there are no consequences for Jerry Lee Lewis, like, we've talked about how we don't root for him or root against him, and everything is kind of flat, and it's just presented as a matter of fact. Um, that's fine for some people. I, myself, though, I think it, it's, like, a frustrating, like, I come against it a little bit because, like, I want to see consequences or some, you know, like, if a
1: person just acts like a dick, but I don't you think I, that's more American? Don't you think that's more authentically American?
4: Like, but it doesn't point it out. It just it sure. Just I
1: I I but think the point yeah. is though that it doesn't point it out. It's yeah. It's an American director I telling the story of an American artist because
3: of that. Because I and I recognize that, but because there's no satisfaction, it's not as satisfying to watch. Sure, it's
1: not as cathartic.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I actually totally enjoyed
0: the movie.
1: Yeah, I would say I enjoyed the movie.
0: Yeah, I I mean, obviously, like, we wanted to do it. I, I, still, I, I, like, the issue, I, the issue, I don't know, the issue of, like, if we're, if we touch on the idea of, like, bringing up things, then, and, and that not getting into them being racist, then, like, that indicts such a broad swath. Of all culture, and granted, it is true, but it's like I'm talking like that means RoboCop is racist for implying oh, like Detroit. Is super yeah, racist. and so I'm just saying so like <laughs> so by but I'm saying by you bringing that up in terms of this movie, you're kind of misleading the degree to which it is racist. Oh yeah, and it, I don't think it's fair to say like it is racist as opposed to it racistly refuses to get into. Certain things that it wants to bring up, but doesn't want to actually spend time. Right, I would say I, I would it depicts.
1: I would say it depicts cultural appropriation without making the movie about cultural appropriation. Yes. I do think that this does a good job
3: of being very clear as to what a cultural appropriation is. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. And it's like this is Jerry Lee Lewis. Here you go, folks. Sing
1: and dance. Yeah. I don't think it endorses a cul- uh, cultural appropriation. No
0: but it definitely does not criticize it. It portrays sure. it it portrays it without criticizing it. Yeah, and, and I think that's
1: yeah. kind of the key of what you're saying about Jim McBride as a whole is in that's, this movie nothing is really criticized. And that's
3: why the whole thing I think it's easy to enjoy and to like space in and out of like not pay attention to because nothing about this movie is intimate. Even when like they're having sex and it's uncomfortable. Nothing about that made me feel very intimate with the characters.
1: Sure. Yeah. And it's
3: very much like this happened a long time ago. We're taking a step back in telling the story. We're not digging into anything deep. So nothing is very detailed. And I think that's very interesting. And I prefer myself to get more intimate with story details.
0: And I'll go I'll at least go this far and say I think the more interesting version of this movie would be the version that uses Jerry Lee Lewis to touch on the way in which white artists benefit entirely off of the work of black artists (laughs) like there is a much more interesting version of it but this version as is I feel like is trying to make a very specific argument and I think probably would have solved Matt what you're saying is if it had picked a different artist to try to make that critique with one that doesn't require T- t- you could still talk about the way in which a musician is like a child and the music industry doesn't help that without making it about someone who also steals from black people and yeah. not and then you, you, there's kind of muddies yeah, the water and so yeah yeah it's it and i yeah and so that definitely there is that is a thing but i'm really trying to defend the movie in terms of at least like on it, the merits of what it's going for as yeah. opposed to what, yeah, what it think, doesn't think, achieve yeah. in, in by not... Anymore. I know I've
1: mentioned Dreamgirls like three times, but there's a montage in Dreamgirls where they actively depict white artists stealing from black artists yeah. and appropriating their songs for the radio. Yeah.
3: I think I my teachable moment is I think I really do prefer movies where the characters are... Per- portrayed more intimately, like I said, and it seems like I'm not watching it from a hundred feet away.
1: Sure. Yeah. Do you mean any kind of movie, or like specifically biopics? Any kind. Okay.
3: That's in general my personal preference, obviously it varies from movie to movie. Sure. But this is like a fun movie, so it doesn't need that, it doesn't require it.
1: Right, you can still enjoy the movie without getting intimate with its characters. Yeah,
0: and honestly, this is a movie I'm really glad we we watched the first time and we rewatched it because if you are going to watch a movie that is like fun and casual uh, in a lot of ways, I like being caught off guard with this material that is way yeah. above the movie's pay grade. So yeah, to speak. <laughs> and yeah. like being like, like it's so fun to go to a movie that you're having a great time and then have like be like, oh. What was that? And then, like, like almost subliminally, so you're like forced to like, I like, I had a really good time, and I want to dance and listen to Julie Lee Lewis music, but my brain is really sad for some reason. I don't know why.
3: Oh, teachable moments kind
1: of bled together. Yeah, yeah but that's good. That's
0: fine. It, was, it ended up being a, a, a good debate, uh, and that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs>
1: we got into the secrets of cinema,
0: if you will. Yeah. This was like a classic Wade uh, episode. Oh, Wade, shout
1: out to Wade! Wade, if
0: you're here, you really probably would have got us deeper into the yeah, final racism this movie is oh, So you. we miss you, Wade. Uh, but this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo.
1: I'm Carrie. I'm Emily. And
0: I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us again, Emily and Matt.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming. And You're we-
3: very welcome, everyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk to you guys sometime soon. Bye. 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 The Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Caron. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carrichafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash paolocarone. Or read more of his ramblings about the film at www.letterbox.com slash Paolo Erasmus. Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema Podcast, on Twitter at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Lake Productions, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening!